Good morning. Well, we might make a start. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So wonderful to be together. Wonderful. Well, if you're new and visiting us today, uh, in person, online, my name is Brendan, one of the pastors here. Joy to be with you guys this morning on the best day of the week, and wonderful to be able to hear from God together as a church family, and wonderful to launch a new series, as has been announced already, in the book of Proverbs. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Proverbs chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 1 through to verse 7, and then pray for us as we begin. This is the Word of God to us this morning, church. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to, you, to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we come before your word this morning And we bow the knee. Help us, Lord, through the preaching of your word to see more of you. Soften our hard and distracted hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, I put to you, we live in a culture that is constantly, constantly looking for the best way to live. We are constantly looking. There's an overwhelming number of voices. Just open up a newspaper and look at the lifestyle section. Uh, You'll see things about relationships and dating, uh, health and wellness, fashion, beauty, style, parenting, holidays, investments, education, and nutrition. I think about things like online influencers, uh, people like Jimmy Donaldson, who you might know as Mr. Beast, uh, KSI, Jake Paul, uh, Ran and Link, or Rhett and Link, Charlie D'Amelio, and Emma Chamberlain. These online influencers or uh, content creators, if you will, uh, people watch them. We watch them because we find them entertaining on one level, but also because we admire their lives. And we kind of develop this trust relationship with them, and we're drawn to their way of life. And therefore, businesses are willing to spend billions and billions of dollars every year advertising through them. Why? Because we trust them more than ads. And as they sell products to us in minutes, they are able to instigate flash mobs that shut down even major cities because we want to look to them to know how to live. 
Think about things like self-help books. I was looking online this week. The New York Times uh, best-selling non-fiction book. It's been up there for nearly 10 months now, or over 10 months now. Uh, it's called How the Body Keeps Score, The Effects of Trauma and Innovative Treatments for Recovery. Uh, a self-help book with tips how to, how to overcome the effects of trauma on your body. And with so many different voices and so much incredibly different advice, the fruit can be, for us as Christians, isn't it? Sometimes we feel paralyzed and anxious just about what to do. What if the choice I make on this isn't the best option? What if there was something better? What if there was a better way to live or to act or to purchase that I'm just missing out on? What if this action or path won't lead to as much satisfaction as that one over there. More still, increasingly, we're not just overwhelmed with choices, but we're distracted, aren't we, in this digital age? And we find it increasingly difficult to think about the deep things of life, about faith and meaning and purpose. Uh, There's a famous article uh, by a guy called Nicholas Carr. It was written in 2008, one year after the iPhone, and he entitled it, Is Google Making a Stupid? And he describes this feeling of difficulty in reading that he's never had as a journalist before, Uh, difficulty in thinking deeply, as though someone was kind of messing with his mind. That feeling, 16 years later, is now the norm for everyone at all times. We check our phones on average once every four minutes during our waking moments. But here's the thing I want us to think about this morning. What if the greatest resource of wisdom to navigate life was right underneath our noses all along? Overlooked. Written off. Gathering dust. You see, when it comes to knowing how to live intuitively, what we want, we want hacks. We want quick solutions to try and help us get what we want out of this life. And we find ourselves looking online for personal solutions, expert voices, all the while missing the wisdom from the ages. All the while missing at our fingertips God's eternal wisdom to us in the book of Proverbs. See, this message, as I've been saying, is an introduction to our new new series on Proverbs, a series we've entitled, as you'll see on the screen, Wisdom That Works. But it's also an invitation to everyone here. It's an invitation to come on a journey of discovery and of growth. We're going to spend about six months canned out here in this book, 26 messages, taking us all the way through to October. And we're going to be thinking deeply and allowing our hearts to be captivated by God's vision for life. See, as a community in different places in our journey, uh, just as verse 5 of the passage says there's something in this for everyone, we're going to study God's Word together and learn from one another. And my hope for today at the start of our series is that looking at this path of wisdom, you'd look at it and go, yes, I want in on that. I want to be on this path of wisdom. Put another way, I want us to kind of joyfully embrace this beautiful way of wisdom contained in this scripture, in this book. If you're a note taker this morning, I've entitled this message, The Way of Wisdom. 
And I've got three points that come from our passage. Uh, Point number one, the essence of wisdom from verse 7. Point number two, the forge of wisdom from verses 2 through to 6. And then finally, not just that, the beauty of wisdom coming from verse 2 and verse 7. So let's begin. Let's begin our journey together with point one, the essence of wisdom. And it's probably worth asking right at the start, what even is wisdom? You know, normally when we think of wisdom, we think of like some old sage-like figures. We think of maybe uh, fortune cookies. We think of mysterious sayings. We think of the Dalai Lama or maybe even characters like Yoda. I found this quote from this week from Yoda. Is it wise? I don't know. Do or do not. There is no try. Uh, A wise saying. Maybe that's wisdom. We think about wisdom as learning and knowledge and tolerant with kind of positive vibes, I would say, in our culture. But in Proverbs, the main word for wisdom is actually the word chokmah. And it's slightly different from the way we think about wisdom in our culture. Wisdom is more than knowledge. Wisdom, in fact, is more akin to the word in English we would use skill. It's more about skill. In Exodus 31, Yahweh speaks to Moses and he says, I've put my, my spirit on these two guys, Bezalel and Aholiab, and given them, it says in the ESV, ability. The, the word is the same, chokmah, wisdom to build the tabernacle. Uh, again, in Psalm 107, wisdom is described as the sailor's ability to navigate the seas, uh, which has, in fact, under the lordship of God, come to an end in the psalm. See, wisdom in the Bible is more than knowledge alone. It's skill to navigate life in God's world. So let's dive into our passage with verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon... Son of David, King of Israel. You see, this book is dedicated to the great King Solomon, son of the King David, considered both to be the most wise king and foolish king in Israel's entire history. Uh, Wise because having asked God for wisdom to lead his people, God richly blesses him with wisdom in 1 Kings chapter 4. And it says in 1 Kings chapter 4 that he wrote some 3,000 proverbs and 1,000 songs. An incredibly wise man. But also betrays God by abandoning him for pagan religion of his many wives and ignoring God's repeated instructions to kings in Deuteronomy chapter 17 by hoarding slaves and gold and building chariots and collecting foreign wives. Well, not just what is wisdom, but What is a proverb even? Again, in English, proverbs are usually kind of like cute sayings that kind of have a little bit of a rhyme about them, like uh, a stitch in time saves nine. You might might know that one. Or two hands, uh, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Uh, Again, in Hebrew, the word is mashal. It means a wise saying. Uh, This is not a promise. That's important to know in in Proverbs. Proverbs is not a book of promises. And it's not a book of laws. But it's a book of observations of how God's complex world works and instructions about how to skillfully navigate it. You see, to understand the full picture of what Proverbs says, you can't just take one proverb in isolation. You have to hold all the Proverbs on a topic together like pearls in a necklace. Uh, 
Uh, Let me take you to one example from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 15 says this. It says, A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. If you just read that uh, proverb alone, you might begin to think that having wealth and having wealth as a refuge is a really good thing and being poor is not. But if you read on to the very next uh, proverb, it says the following. The wage of the righteous leads to life, but the gain of the wicked to sin. See, on the one hand, it seems as though the rich person's wealth is their strong city, their fortress, but it's not a positive, uplifting fortress. It's not a positive image. It's actually at the same time saying, but those very things lead him not to honor God, but to sin. See, we have to hold the Proverbs all together in tension. We have to understand them in context. And as we go through this series, uh, I want to encourage us to just keep reading through all the Proverbs and meditating on them. These are wise sayings. The meaning isn't always easily grasped in Proverbs, but that's by design. That's how it's meant to be. The idea is we meditate on them like lozenges in the mouth. And as we meditate and meditate, these wonderful truths begin to come out. See, Proverbs is rightly attributed to King Solomon uh, because he is the greatest contributor. But it's actually an arrangement of Proverbs from several authors. Uh, The first uh, nine chapters are, in fact, not Proverbs. They are poetry, which we're going to slowly make our way through. Uh, with one big appeal to choose the path of wisdom. The remaining chapters are actually arranged into six collections of Proverbs by different different authors. Two collections from Solomon, one huge one at the beginning, and one arranged 250 years later under King Hezekiah. Uh, Two collections of sayings from wise people, And finally, two different collections, one from the words of Agur and one from King Lemuel. And as we work our way slowly through this series, we're going to spend about 13 uh, weeks together looking at those first nine chapters before we spend about 13 weeks again looking at themes of Proverbs as they run through the book entirely. See, Proverbs was written as a kind of training manual for young men, for aspiring leaders in Israel, uh, men in their teens or in their 20s, eventually hoping to serve in the king's court. And it was designed to be read together in the context of a community, just like this one, with fathers and mothers and employers and friends and neighbors. And it's filled with wisdom from the king himself. Uh, Notice how you'll frequently see in the Proverbs advice of how to behave before kings and in the king's court. That was the purpose for which this was written. And you really need to understand this if you're reading this book with us as a woman. Uh, Understanding the purpose for which it was written ought not put you off from reading this because we have altogether the distinct privilege of opening up this training manual for aspiring young leaders together as God's family to get the wisdom from the greatest of the kings of Israel to train their very closest court officials. Now, from what we've been sharing to you so far, you might not be sold on your need for wisdom from this book. Uh, You might say, I get that wisdom is super helpful. 
I get that it's in the good to have category, but it's not essential, right? Why do I even need this? I mean, if wisdom is just skill, isn't it just there to kind of help me game life, you know, to try and maximize what I can get out of it? Isn't it the sort of optional add-on that could kind of progress me in life from being kind of like a 5 out of 10 to maybe a 7 out of 10? And so isn't it the kind of thing that I can kind of save for, like maybe another time when I've got a little bit more headspace? Well, to answer these questions, we actually need to really look a little deeper at what the essence of wisdom is and the motto of the entire book of Proverbs, which we find in verse 7. Read it again with me. It says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Well, what does this passage teach us about the essence of wisdom? Like puts you, it teaches us that wisdom begins not with knowledge, but with character. The fear of the Lord. Now, that that might be a word that you're not so familiar with, and so you think, like, what does that even mean? Is that like, ah, don't hit me, God? You know, that kind of fear. Um, it's actually a word that, or expression that refers to reverence, reverence for God. Uh, Charles Bridges, the 19th century uh, pastor, puts it this way. He says, but what is the fear of the Lord? It is that affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. Affectionate reverence that leads you to carefully study and consider the things that God says. Uh, Tim Keller puts it this way, the fear of the Lord is a life-rearranging, joyful awe and wonder before the greatness of who God is and what He has done. I love that. A life-rearranging, joyful awe before who God is and what He has done for us. It's a joyful awe that looks at God and just makes you want to go, I want to hear what you have to say and rearrange my life accordingly. And this fear of the Lord is the starting point. It's the foundation. It's the core of the way of wisdom. See, there's a great humility that comes from reverence of the Lord. It, le- it should lead to a softness of heart, an accurate vision of His greatness, a desire from, to hear from Him, a desperation even to hear from Him. See, wisdom, it, it's not about intelligence, and it's not about age. It's actually about your relationship with your Maker. See, if you're a Christian and you're here today, we're used to thinking about life in terms of obedience and disobedience, aren't we? Right and wrong. And we're used to kind of telling ourselves that wisdom is this kind of separate area, kind of the land of gray, if you will. Right? The message of Proverbs is that wisdom is deeply related to who you are. It's deeply related to your character. Wisdom is skill, but it's the skill that flows from a right relationship with your maker, with your creator. The famous uh, theologian Derek Kidner writes the following. He says this, you have to be good to be wise, though Proverbs is particularly concerned to point out the converse, the opposite, that you have to be wise to be really good. For goodness and wisdom are not two separable qualities, but two aspects of a single whole. To take it further, you have to be godly 
to be wise. That is the point of the book of Proverbs. Godliness is the starting point for wisdom. Without wisdom, you'll never truly be good. Wisdom is essential to living in a godly way. I want to put to us that we know that intuitively. Think with me. If you have courage but no wisdom, what are you setting yourself up for? You're setting yourself up to be brave, yes, but to bravely make huge mistakes. If you have love but no wisdom, you might have good intentions, yes, but you could do a real lot of damage with them. If you have truth but no wisdom, you're going to unnecessarily cause massive offense, deep hurt, and possibly make the gospel look incredibly ugly. See, without wisdom, you'll never be truly good. But I don't want this to crush us. This is a wonderful, hope-filled moment for us. You see, if wisdom was simply about having enough knowledge or skills, verse 7 would say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools lack wisdom and instruction. But that's not what it says. It doesn't say fools lack wisdom and instruction. Our passage uses a feeling-based word, an emotive word. It says something different. It says not lack. It says fools despise wisdom and instruction. They look down on wisdom and instruction. They reject wisdom and instruction. See, the fool is ultimately not someone who lacks God's wisdom, but whose heart is hardened against it. I love what Bruce Waltke writes in his commentary. He puts it this way. He says, The fool is fixed in the correctness of his opinion, which flies in the face of the established moral order revealed through the sage. The fool is fixed in the correctness of his own opinion. I wonder if that stings you a little bit. See, Proverbs is great news to idiots like me who are so prone to making a mess of everything. You don't need to know everything. You don't need all the answers, all the skills. All you need is a tender heart that's willing to listen to the one who's infinitely wise. See, Proverbs is wonderful counsel to weak Christians who are struggling in life. It's not moralistic, and it's not simplistic, but it's deeply realistic, and it's immensely practical. It shows us that God cares about the nitty-gritty, earthly details of our lives, like how to respond to others, like even things like timing a greeting well, not singing out loud to your neighbor at the early hours of the morning, or even how to be a good friend. God cares about these things. Derek Kidner again says this. He says, There are details of character small enough to escape the mesh of the law and the broadsides of the prophets, and yet decisive in personal dealings. Listen to this. Proverbs moves in, the realm, in this realm asking what a person is like to live with or to employ, how he manages his affairs, his time, and himself. These deeper, earthy, intricate character qualities, aspects of who we are at the deepest level, that's biblical wisdom. A deep reverence of God that leads to a desire to receive his counsel, more joyfully rearranging your life based on his counsel. Uh, Friends, I hope you're beginning to see something of the beautiful 
uh, attractive path of biblical wisdom and, and why we desperately need more of this, more, more wisdom from God. But I guess you could begin to think, well, if this is so good and so beautiful, why aren't more people in on this? Why don't more people want this? And that brings us to the second point of our time together this morning, which is not just the essence of wisdom, but the forge of wisdom. See, we're going to pause to examine God's revealed methodology for growing us in wisdom. Methods that are at times unpleasant. See, our passage is really an introduction to the whole book. Uh, Verse 2, in fact, reveals what Proverbs is aiming to achieve in your life. And I think we can probably summarize that as deep character and right thinking. Uh, I'm going to read uh, verse 2 again uh, with you guys, and I'm going to kind of unpack it for us. To know wisdom and instruction, and to understand words of insight. To know wisdom and instruction, and to understand words of insight. The second half of that, I think it's a bit more straightforward to us. That refers to right thinking. Uh, It's further explained in verse 6, which goes on to explain uh, understanding proverbs and understanding wise people's sayings, to have a deeper knowledge of his word. I think that's that's right. We would want to see that. The fear of the Lord is going to give you a right outlook on the whole world. It's going to see things in perspective. It's going to make you attentive to listen to God's wisdom. It's going to deepen... Your understanding is going to set your thinking straight. That's kind of nothing unexpected. The challenging part, actually, is the first half of verse 2. It says, to know, that word is to be intimately familiar with wisdom and instruction. And we've already discussed wisdom. That's the reverence, the awe that leads you to joyfully rearrange your life, to listen to the things that God says. But the second word instruction, that's one that we're less familiar with. See, in Hebrew, that word instruction is the word musa. You could translate it as training. It literally refers to a chastening or humbling lesson, a lesson whose aim is to correct a moral fault within. Musa implies that there's an authority, there's an instructor to whom the the disciple must submit himself to fix that inner corruption. And that instructor could be, it could be parents in the book of Proverbs. It could be sages or God or experience. In Proverbs, to prevent repeated foolishness, repeated folly, Musa, instruction, is learned with the rod. That refers to corporal punishment. See, Musa, instruction, it's a humbling, unpleasant lesson that's all about shaping your character. And verse 3 and 4 expands on Proverbs' goal of shaping your character. It says the following. To receive Musa, instruction, in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. To receive Musa, instruction, in wise dealing. See, the goal of Proverbs is not that just that you would experience this Musa, this instruction. That's guaranteed for all people in all times. You're going to experience humbling life lessons. You just have to live long enough. The goal of Proverbs is not that you would experience it, but that you would embrace it. See, the fruit is a transformed heart that does what's right, what's just, what's fair. 
that the simple, that is the, the gullible, the naive, wouldn't be easily misled, but would be discerning. One of the fundamental ways in which God grows us through the Proverbs is that we might be wise, that we might have a heart that would receive difficult, painful instruction from God. You know, it just cast my mind back, uh, just thinking about this, to a moment of instruction in my life many years ago, before Charlotte and I were married. And uh, I was talking to Dave and, and an intern, we were together, and talking about some of the frustrations I had with Charlotte, my, my uh, soon-to-be wife at that time. And Dave stopped me and said, Brennan, just listening to you, it sounds like you want to be married to yourself. (laughs) As a faithful brother wisely wielding the the rod for me, I could have despised it. But by God's grace, I received it and began to see my wife-to-be was someone who was preciously different from me And that was something not to be despised, but to celebrate. See, to receive instruction is to have a teachable spirit. It's to be humble. It's to be ready to learn from God's word and the many wise instructors he's placed in our community. Can I ask you a very difficult question? How about for you? How do you respond to instruction? Are you known for having a teachable spirit? Or are you easily offended and angered? Read with me again verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise Musa, uh, wisdom and Musa, instruction. See, the way of the fool despises the humbling lesson. The way of wisdom embraces it. He receives it for what it is, fire from the forge of wisdom. A loving discipline from the hand of the Lord intended for your good. Uh, The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises everyone he receives. So there's a reason why the path of wisdom is not sought after. The forge of wisdom and instruction is difficult and we are proud. Now, as Australians, I've been thinking about it this week. Why do we so often resist inviting others into our important decisions? Why do we so often seek counselors that don't talk back, like the internet or chat rooms and experts? I think in part it's because we're fearful that counsel from God's word might go against our plans. I think it's in part that we believe that we're capable of figuring these things out for ourselves. But part of it ultimately, I think, is that there's things that we just want for ourselves. The forge of wisdom, however, it requires a tender heart. A heart to lean into things that are uncomfortable and to receive them as from the hands of God. Okay, you might be at this point thinking, Brennan, I thought you were trying to like convince us to come and embrace this path of wisdom. Feels more like scaring us off than really calling us onto it. You know, it'd be so easy to read the Proverbs as a checklist and just feel overwhelmed and crushed by it. But that would be to miss the heartbeat of this whole book completely. And so it brings us to our final point of our time together this morning, the beauty of wisdom. 
See, what if wisdom wasn't actually a concept, but rather a person? A person so filled with grace and mercy that to know him is to want nothing more than to be with him and know him more. You know, I, I stumbled across this just this last week um, from right at the end of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 30. Uh, and this is written by this guy, this mysterious figure called Agur, the son of Jacob. And he says the following in, in verse 2 through to 4. He says, Surely I'm too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I've not learned wisdom at all, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who's ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in his garment? Who's established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. If you feel this overwhelming sense that you're tired, you're stupid, and you're not wise, Proverbs is just the book for you. Right at the end of this book, this mysterious figure, Agur, the son of Jacob, he says, I've failed in learning wisdom. Who can compare to God's wisdom? What's his name? What's his son's name? Agur couldn't have imagined what we know. See, the beauty of the wisdom of Proverbs is that its ultimate author is none other than the infinitely wise son of God. The gospel teaches us that Jesus is wisdom from God in 1 Corinthians 1.30. Jesus was the wisest person ever to walk on the face of the earth. He was an absolute genius. No one could trap him in his words or outsmart him. He could see into the hearts of every single person. When he taught in the synagogues, people were amazed and they said in Matthew 13, where did he get this wisdom? Jesus himself says uh, that Solomon was the wisest person in the history of the world. But Jesus said, something or someone greater than Solomon is here, referring to himself. It just reminds me, just even talking on this, the very last words of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, uh, speaking to them to conclude his sermon, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like who? A wise man. A wise man who built his house on the rock and the rainfall and the floods came up and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it's been founded on the rock. The way to find wisdom is to build your life upon my words, Jesus says. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All, not some, all. See, the wisdom contained in Proverbs is none other than the wisdom of Christ himself. Like Isaiah 9 says, Unto us a child is born, and his name shall be what? Wonderful Counselor. Ray Ortland describes it this way, and I think it's so helpful. He says, like diving into the book of Proverbs is like pulling up a chair in the counselor's office, except the counselor sitting across from you is none other than the Lord Jesus himself. And as you pour out to him your challenges and your problems, he shares with you eternal wisdom from before the foundation of the earth. Ray Ortland describes it this way. Wisdom is the grace of Christ beautifying our daily lives. Isn't that wonderful? The grace of the Lord Jesus making beautiful even the small details of our daily lives. You know, we've got so many struggles in our everyday lives, don't we? We're in the workplace, in the home, with our neighbors, with our speech. And in Proverbs, we have the privilege of walking through each of those problems with the Lord Jesus at our side, whispering words of wisdom in our ear about how to conduct ourselves and how to glorify Him. Well, 
Knowing Christ is the true author of Proverbs. It changes everything. It changes how we read verse 2, to know wisdom. Ultimately, it's to come into a deeper knowledge of Christ. It's to allow Him to gently instruct us in our heart to, to do what's right, what's just, what's fair. And sometimes we'll find ourselves in the forge, you know, lying, if you will, on His anvil, taking His hits, His musa, His instruction. But the beautiful thing is we know who wields the hammer. It's Him. And reading Proverbs is to have him as our mentor, our life coach, our wonderful counselor. Well, knowing Christ as the author completely changes how we read verse 7 as well. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So as we close, I just want to end with a question. How can we then grow to have the reverence for God needed to walk in the way of wisdom? How can we humble ourselves enough to read his instruction, receive his instruction? And the answer is simply this. Look to the cross where the infinitely wise Son of God became a fool for us. Where he was mocked and scorned by those who thought they were above him. They cried out, if you're the Son of God, save yourself. He looked an absolute fool. But where he humbled himself to love and serve them. Where infinite wisdom was utterly rejected by fools and scoffers but where in love he willingly bled for them. Where the greatest depths of human stupidity met the greatest heights of God's wisdom and grace. You see, to grow in wisdom, we simply need to stare deeply at the cross, take in its glory, to allow it to humble us, that we were were complicit in something so stupid as murdering the Son of God, but then to so drink in his wisdom that we forget ourselves and turn to praise. And with softened hearts, answer his call to come and follow him in the way of wisdom. As Jesus says, Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, you know, every other sage in human history says, follow my rules and you will be wise. But Jesus says, I was treated as a fool to make you wise. Come and let me carry your burdens. Let's joyfully, friends, follow Jesus on the beautiful way of wisdom. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we want to thank you this morning for the gifts of your precious words in the book of Proverbs. Lord, I thank you that you are a wonderful counselor to fools like me. Thank you, Lord, that Wisdom does not depend on my knowledge. It does not depend on my wisdom. It only depends on a humble heart willing to listen to yours. Thank you, Lord, that you're willing to instruct us and guide us all the way through this often difficult life. Lord, help us to be an ever-increasingly humble people, to listen to you, to embrace the beautiful path of wisdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.